just imagine. The mightiest heroes of our time. Superman. Batman. Flash. Green Lantern. Wonder Woman. Hot Girl. John Jones, Manhunter from Mars. Have banded together as the Justice League to stamp out the forces of evil wherever and whenever they appear. The Fire and Water Podcast Network proudly presents... JLU Cast. and welcome to the 24th episode of JLU Cast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, covering the animated adventures of the Justice League and their eventual evolution into Justice League Unlimited. I'm one of your hosts, Cindy Franklin. And I'm Chris Franklin, and today we're covering the penultimate story from Justice League Season 2 and the series in general, Wild Cards. These episodes not only feature the return of the Joker to the series, but also the Justice League debut of Harley Quinn, and the chronological first appearance of a villain team that has long plagued the League in comics and other media, the Royal Flush Gang. Watchtower Files. The Royal Flush Gang was a group of themed villains introduced by the Justice League's original creative team, Gardner Fox and Mike Sikowski, in Justice League of America number 43, March 1966. The gang was formed by their ace, Amos Fortune, a former Justice League foe debuting in Justice League number 14, who determined playing cards and other games of chance were determined by stellaration and recruited childhood friends to assume the roles of playing card characters. Thanks to Fortune's harnessing the power of stellaration, the original Royal Flush Gang could use playing cards to manipulate the League's behavior, encouraging disagreements, evoking sorrow, etc. The League defeated Fortune and his gang and again trumped the gang in JLA number 54, June 67. Interestingly, a similar team of card-based villains played Captain Marvel Jr. 20 years earlier in Captain Marvel Jr. number 7, May 1943. The original suit of the gang was clubs, but while Fortune was in prison, a new ace reformed the group and changed their suit to spades. They ran afoul of another playing card-based villain and were defeated by the Clown Prince of Crime in the Joker number 5, January-February 76, by Martin Pascoe, Irv Novick, and Rob Kelly's friend, Tex Bladesdale. Jack went solo and became known as Hijack, joining the Secret Society of Supervillains in their late 70s solo title for a time, before being sent into limbo by the team's leader, the Wizard. An entirely new gang was formed in the pages of JLA for a three-part story in issues 203 through 205 in 1982. This time, the team was reorganized by Green Lantern foe and everyone's favorite DCEU cinematic villain, Hector Hammond. Hammond was eventually defeated on the mental plane by Firestorm's alter ego, Professor Martin Stein. Yes, and those comics were written by Jerry Conway and drawn by Don Heck. The team broke out of comics into television with an appearance on the Superpowers Team Galactic Guardians series on October 12, 1985. In the episode called The Wild Cards, hmm, the gang is formed by the mysterious ace at the behest of Darkseid in the hopes of defeating the Superpowers Team. At the end of the episode, Ace is unmasked to reveal he is the Joker. Like in many of their comic appearances, the superpowers version of the gang flew around on giant playing cards. It's a neat visual no one seems to be able to resist when the team shows up. The gang's comic history remained relatively intact with the advent of the post-crisis DC Universe. They attacked the Justice League's HQ, allowing potential new member Booster Gold to earn his spurs in Justice League number 4, August 1987 by the usual team of Keith Giffen, J.M.D. Mateus, and Kevin McGuire. The gang continued to pop up in the DC titles for the next 30 years, with Fortune expanding the number of suits in the gang and turning into a criminal army that nearly rivaled Intergang. 
Before these Justice League episodes, the team made their DCAU debut, at least in production order, in the Batman Beyond animated series. Set around 50 years in the future, new team Batman Terry McGinnis and older mentor Bruce Wayne encountered the gang in the episodes Dead Man Hands, Once Burned, and King's Ransom. This version of the gang was a family of criminals known as the Walkers, who handed the titles of the gang down from one generation to another. Bruce Wayne had encountered and defeated the gang shortly before he retired, and they came to Gotham to get revenge on the new Batman. In addition to appearing in animation and other projects like Batman, The Brave and the Bold, and the direct-to-home media film, Justice League Doom, the Royal Flash Gang has made it into live action as well. They've appeared in a heavily altered form on the series Arrow and the Flash as armed robbers who wear hockey masks with card themes. Yeah, so let's get into these episodes. Uh, Wild Cards, and it's Wild Cards with an S, although I see Wild Card listed like on the DVD box and several other places, but it is plural. Uh, Originally aired December 6, 2003, written by Stan Berkowitz and Dwayne McDuffie and directed by Butch Lukic, so some of our usuals. Uh, Music by Michael McQuistian and Christopher Carter. In the cast, of course, we have Kevin Conroy as Batman, Maria Canals as Hot Girl and the Old Woman, Bill Lamar as Green Lantern, George Newbern as Superman, Michael Rosenbaum as The Flash, Mark Hamill as The Joker, Arlene Sorkin as Harley Quinn, Harry Payton as Ten, Greg Sipes as Jack, Scott Minville as King, Tara Strong as Queen, Hendon Walsh as Ace, and John C. McGinley as The Executive. And as you will hear, a big chunk of these episodes happen in real time, and there are lots of cuts from different video feeds to tell the story. We're going to eschew our usually very linear synopsis and hit the broad strokes. It's something I've been meaning to do anyway, because honestly, I might as well be rewriting these things with the insane amount of detail we get into. It's not the insane amount of detail we get into. That's you. Okay. Well, there we go. But still, I think it'd be lots better. Anyway, on the Watchtower, Green Lantern and Hawkgirl once again bicker like an old married couple as they help Batman track down the office of the TV executive in Las Vegas. The Dark Knight arrives at the executive's office and demands he cut the broadcast time he sold to Gwynplaine Entertainment, since it's actually a front for the Joker. The exec makes the call and kills the feed with only seconds to spare, but the Joker has bought time on all the other networks, and so his broadcast begins anyway. Ah, 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 don't touch that remote. I know it's heartbreaking to have your favorite shows preempted, but look what you're getting instead. Me! And a whole truckload of mindless violence and wanton property damage. Everything that makes TV great. So stay tuned. You won't believe your eyes. The Joker announces he placed a time bomb somewhere on the Vegas Strip, and he challenges the Justice League to find and defuse it in time. He also warns if anyone else interferes, he'll detonate the bomb early. Having set up cameras and crew all over the Strip, he provides a ticking time clock starting at 22 minutes and 50 seconds. He also has his hench winch, Harley Quinn, reporting in from a helicopter above the city. Harley observes the panicked vacationers and locals leaving the city in droves after the Joker's bomb threat. The Clown Prince observes the arrival of Batman, Flash, and Superman as the three heroes head off to look for the bomb. He also notes the casinos are empty, save for one old woman determined to win big at her slot machine. Superman and Flash find the bomb, but before they can disarm it, they are interrupted by some new arrivals. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's extra special guest stars making their world debut, the Royal Flash Gang. Jack! Ten? King! And, uh, Queen. 
The Royal Flush Gang uses their powers to keep the leaguers off balance. Tin pummels with his super strength and invulnerability. Jack can stretch and morph his body. King fires energy blasts from his hands. And Queen is the master of magnetism. Meanwhile, Batman sneaks in to defuse the bomb and Green Lantern and Hot Girl provide backup. The leaguers take the battle outside while the Joker cuts in to give his viewers the background of his new gang. The tale of the Royal Flush Gang begins in the Arizona desert at a secret facility where five innocent children were taken after being snatched from their families by the government. They promised to educate the kids, give them a home, but they wanted something in return because, you see, each of these kids was born with a mysterious power. The government relocated five superpowered youngsters and took them to a secret training facility in Arizona. There they learned to hone their abilities and were forged into weapons. This included the youngest of the group, the mysterious Ace, who sits to the side of the Joker's throne as he relates his tale. The Harlequin of Hate freed the kids and gave them their card-themed costumes and identities, and also sweet flying playing cards, cause comics. Joker checks back in on Batman, who defuses the bomb, only to have the countdown stop, then speed up and explode into harmless confetti and an inflatable clown. The League lets the gang fly off, and Superman locates the real bomb, and then another, and then 25 in total. The Man of Steel shares where he found them, and the League set off to defuse them with only a little over 13 minutes left. Green Lantern finds a fake bomb in an oceanic-themed hotel, but Batman hits the jackpot at one with a Hawaiian theme, only to be stopped by Jack. Flash also locates a bomb, but the Joker stops him before he can remove it, saying he must disarm it or it will blow. He calls Batman, who's still occupied with Jack, but the Dark Knight manages to talk him through it. Batman, I've got a problem. You don't say. I found a bomb. You gotta talk me through disarming it. Okay. Remove the list. Already done. Don't jump ahead. Do exactly as I say. I opened it before I called. Ah! Batman, you okay? Grasp the red metal collar with both hands. Pull it straight up. It's magnetized. Don't touch the sides or it'll blow up the whole block. Done. Disconnect the following wires and... Ah! In precisely this order. Blue, yellow and black striped. Red, then black. Okay, what next? You're done. Find another one. I'm on it. Superman has his hands full with Tin, who is out to prove he's just as strong as the Man of Steel. Meanwhile, Green Lantern discovers a bomb at Amos Fortune's casino and resort. Unfortunately, Queen is waiting for him and begins to assault him with everything metal in the building, including making armor and weapons out of the metal tokens. Thankfully, Hot Girl has his back and comes in mace swinging. She takes out Queen, but as Green Lantern begins to disarm the bomb, she questions his every move. The two bicker as usual, and the Joker notes their sexual tension. But he's seen enough and presses the detonate button. Why not put a force field around it and let it blow? I don't know if I can contain an explosion that size. Maybe you should let me defuse it. Maybe you should shut up. Phew. Is it just me, or is there something going on between those two? Will Green Lantern ever admit to his feelings? Will Hawkgirl ever stop sublimating her passions with that big honking mace? Will true love conquer all? Not on my show. Green Lantern notices the clock stop and blasts Hot Girl outside with his ring. 
explodes, bringing the casino down on him. To be continued. Uh, okay, we start as we end with a hot girl and Green Lantern bickering. Uh-huh. That's it. Right there. No, it's not. I think I would know. Really? When did you ever tap into bank records? Do they even have banks on Thanagar? Back off. I know what I'm doing. Don't... What is it with you? Every time we're together, you're like this. I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, you do. And he asked her why she's always like that with him. I think they're initiating what we like to jokingly call the rating mutual. Ah, I think so, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we're sharing too much with these people. Yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, our executive is uh, voiced by John C. McGinley, best known for Scrubs, but we also love him for the vastly underrated Stand Against Evil, which I found out is on Hulu, so we need to rewatch that. Yes. Uh, he'll return next season on JLU as a character we heard name dropped a few episodes ago, Ray Palmer, a.k.a. The Atom. Mm-hmm. Gwynplaine Entertainment, uh, the Joker's front, is a callback to Bill Finger and Bob Kane's inspiration for The Joker as that is the name of the lead character in Victor Hugo's The Man Who Lasts, and the Joker was visually based off of Conrad Veidt's portrayal of that character in the classic silent film, with makeup by Universal Monster maker Jack P. Pierce, I should add. Oh, there you go. So it's all connected. Uh, The Joker cards that show up on the screen are based on the design Jerry Robinson brought into the office and also play into Joker's creation, so there's definitely a lot of callbacks to the Joker's origins here. Uh, and of course, Mark Hamill returns to voice the Clown Prince of Crime, and this is actually his last appearance as the DCAU version of the Joker, production-wise anyway, mm-hmm. because, you know, timeline-wise, we have Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, obviously. Right, 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 so, right. Uh, this is Harley's first and last appearance on Justice League, and Arlene Sorkin's last DCAU appearance, too. In fact, this is one of her last turns as the character, period. Which so stinks, because she's wonderful. But apparently she chose to retire from doing it, so it's my understanding. But huh. uh, Harley says, they're so scared they're even willing to go to Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, okay. Um, the real-time gimmick uh, was popular at the time, thanks to the show 24 with Kiefer Sutherland, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which had been on for two years at this point until the clock, and the fact that it happened in real time, you know, makes sense. When the league arrives, Joker calls Flash and Superman fashion disasters. I mean, does he look at his own clothing choices? <laughs> hey, at least he's got the, re- they've got the, he's got the better design than he did on the new Batman Adventures anyway. True. Yeah. And like we said, the uh, determined old lady is voiced by Maria Canals, who mm-hmm. is, is also a hot girl. Uh, and now we meet our Royal Flush gang, and this is one of the nicest bits of stunt casting they ever did on any of the DCAU shows. Mm-hmm. The gang are voiced by the lead actors on the then-running Teen Titans animated series from Bruce Tim alumni Glenn Murakimi. So this is the, the straight version of the Teen Titans cartoon. Yes. Although these same actors voice them now... On Teen Titans Go, so they've made a career out of it. I mean, they've been doing it for almost 20 years at this point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, King is voiced by Scott Menville, a.k.a. Robin. Ken is voiced by Cyborg's Carrie Payton. Jack is played by Greg Sipes, Beast Boy, who's also in the middle, uh, (laughs) in live action. And Queen is Tara Strong, a.k.a. Raven. Who is he on the middle? Beast Boy? Yeah. Greg Sipes, he works for Mike, remember? He's the one that talks like this, boss man. That's that's Beast Boy. Yeah, he's in everything. Yeah, but he, I mean, voice-wise. But that's one of the few things I know that he's, you know, in live action. Yeah. 
we've been we've been binging watching the middle again while while we're on COVID break. So <laughs> yeah, fans wanted an actual crossover between the shows, but this was as close as we got for now. There will be more connections between the series in the coming years, leading to much speculation on how they could possibly fit together or not. And there's never been a definitive, right? you know, it's just kind of up to fans. And a lot of the creators, like, they don't fit. And fans say, oh, yes, they do fit. And I can make it fit. And so, yeah. Uh, so what did you think about this casting? Can you see the Titans when you hear those voices? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I had to go around it a little bit to get around that. Because I'm like, oh. Yeah, you know. yeah, I know because we, you know, we grew up, you know, the ki- our kids grew up watching mm-hmm. those shows, and we've seen them all. I mean, not we haven't watched Teen Titans Go as much, but mm-hmm. I mean, the original Teen Titans we watched and watched and watched. So yeah, so how about their designs of the the characters? They're much less traditional than you may expect, but the Batman Beyond versions already did that. Right, right. I mean, and that's what I'm, you know. That's what was in my brain. So. Yeah, and I don't know. They never did explain how this Royal Flush Gang. Is differentiated because they talked about that that would have been going on for, you like know, generations. The, yeah, generations. Yeah. They were like the evil version of the Phantom in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't I don't know how that works out, but I guess they weren't really worried about it. I know it was already a trope at this point, but I got a real Stranger Things vibe out of the gang's origin this time. Mm-hmm. Especially after that teaser trailer for season four just dropped. Mm. That showed the kids with Eleven yeah. in the facility with Matthew Modine and everything. So that, uh. But you also have, you know, Firestarter with Drew Barrymore and things, you know, it's, yeah. you know. It's like yeah. I said, it was already a trope. Trope, yeah, yeah but yeah, you know. Yeah. The characters look like the Titans actors out of costume too, which I think is interesting because I mean, the uh, Jack looks like Greg Sipes, and Scott Menville's got a shaved head. He's bald, so yeah. so they all they all kind of look like they're 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 the actors, which is except for Ace, which we'll get to. But uh, we meet Ace, but we have no idea what her power is. She's just shown staring into space like a silent Lydia Dietz from Beetlejuice or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's like, or Wednesday from the Adams Family, Christina Ricci or something. The Joker says, they would have gotten away with it, too, if not for me meddling with the kids. (laughs) That's a good line. That's good, yeah. And, of course, the Joker has been on Scooby-Doo, so, you know, it all works together. Of course, there are actually 25 bombs, but why didn't Superman find any of those to begin with, I wonder? Not looking for them. I know, but but I guess he found the right fake bomb. Or did the Joker, you know, could Joker do whatever he needed to with whatever bomb, you know? You know, to have the confetti and everything. True. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Just a minor minor nitpick, minor. Green Lantern finds a dummy bomb in a themed hotel with several models of the Nautilus yes. from Disney's version of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Which I got to to ride on. I know. I'm very jealous of you because you went to Disney when you were in, in high 92. school. In 92. And they still had that No, ride. no, 91. 91. And I just missed it. I just had started right before we started dating. So. I know because that, we went in spring break, April of 91, and you and I started dating in June of 91. I'd been, I'd probably been real frustrated though because I'd been like, we got to go do this. We got to go do that. And you guys only were there for like a day or so. Oh, we were only there for like maybe six hours. Oh, God. No. <laughs> No, I, I, I went nuts. I went nuts. So it's probably better that we waited till we, you know, went with the fam- with our family. But uh, Joker makes a joke about Batman getting warm next to a fake volcano, and he demands his henchmen laugh. This is usually the part where he kills them, uh-huh. which I was kind of waiting for. I'm surprised he didn't. I guess 
they can only get away with so much. Although it did look like the Joker killed the people at the at the uh, facility when he, yeah. you know, including their strange Professor X like mentor mm-hmm. who had a dead eye and a, a mustache but was bald otherwise. So uh, this is where I get really nerdy and nitpicky. Uh, the Joker, you know, uh, there's a nice little gag where the Joker um, brings in his bookie. He cuts to his bookie who uh, basically breaks down who he favors in the fight between Batman and Jack. And he says Batman's height and weight is uh, 6'3 and 240. Traditionally, Batman's height and weight is 6'2 and 210. So, Well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> hey, if who's who taught me anything, that's what it all taught me. <laughs> um, I like the little interaction between Batman and Flash. He's trying to talk him through the bomb and and he's like, take off the cover. And he's like, already done. And he's like, don't jump ahead. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I took it off before I called. <laughs> it's just, it's like, don't yell at me. I'm very nervous right now. <laughs> you know, like, uh, of course, we get a name drop of Amos Fortune at the resort where Green Lantern is disarming the bomb. So that's a nice callback to the comics. Uh, what did you think about Queen making armor and weapons out of the coins? I couldn't help it for whatever. I mean... And I know it's dumb and we don't care for this character, but on Flash, there's that, there is that character with a really bad accent that makes the armor and weapons out of the coins and oh, the shrapnel. Yeah, yeah, the, um, oh, I can't think of her name, but yeah, she's basically like the blacksmith character. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's what it put me in mind of. And she's played by Katie Sackoff, who's the, uh, was from Battlestar Galactica and is on The Mandalorian as, um, oh, Bo Katan, the, the female Mandalorian, yeah. the leader of that, you know. But yeah. still. Yeah, didn't care for her on the Flash, I'm sorry. At all. Yeah, this, the character and the portrayal, I I know I know it's blasphemous, everybody likes her, and I like her in, I never really watched Battlestar Galactica in the new version, but I like her on the Mandalorian fine, and, but yeah, yeah, she did, yeah, that's true, she does remind me of that. Uh, Green Lantern makes a sword. Uh, I know, I'm so proud of him, <laughs> he's got an imagination. Yeah, he, he's really come along here lately, but, yes. and, and, you know, she makes a sword first, but then Hot Girl comes at her and she makes a mace. And I love Green Lantern's line. Shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> she gonna screw you up. Yeah. So even the Joker notices what's going on with Green Lantern and Hot Girl. And I love his bit about the, the whole will they, won't they thing. Yeah. But, you know, not on his watch. And so he pushes the button and then boom. Yeah. I, and, uh. That is one hell of an ending. I mean, there's no musical sting. You just hear her yelling, John! And the sound of the crackling fire, it's very effective, and it seems quite final. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, whoa, that, you know, usually there's this, like, dramatic, like, drawn-out tone. Nothing. It's just like, and you're like, oh, God, let me watch the next one, you know. Yeah. What, you know, I love how he just, he, like, doesn't he doesn't even he just like he doesn't say anything he, he just, just pushes, pushes her away right. with the ring that's like blast her before she even has a chance to do anything about it so yeah we went through that really quick but it's a very action-oriented yeah episode and you know there's no need to go through this blow by blow with no. that, you know it's like you keep got, going let's go so, so part two let's go to part two ah! lantern are you okay over there Lantern, check in! One of the bombs went off. GL was inside. I'm looking for him. I'm on my way. No, you're not. Stay with the bomb. But... John? 
Hot Girl rushes in the debris and finds Green Lantern with no life signs. She tries to revive him with mouth-to-mouth and chest compressions, but when those won't work, she uses her mace as a defibrillator. He comes to as Joker tires of the mushy stuff and turns the camera over to Superman's never-ending battle with Ken. He manages to knock his young opponent skyward, giving him enough time to defuse a bomb before the battle resumes. Batman is still locked in combat with Jack, but Hot Girl's concern is getting Green Lantern medical attention, and despite the Dark Knight's orders, she flies off to get him help. I found John. He's in bad shape. We'll meet at the last bomb. Then go after Joker. Negative. John needs medical attention. Make it fast. We gotta... Hot Girl out! Batman is finally able to defeat Jack when Harley's helicopter comes in for a close-up. He tosses Jack's extended arm into the blades, which pulls him into the copter and causes it to crash into the building. Joker announces the League has now disarmed all but one of the bombs with about four minutes left on the clock. Flash finds the last bomb in an Egyptian-themed casino, but has to get through King and Ten first. Batman investigates the crash and finds a staggering Harley emerging from the wreckage. Trying to find the Joker's location, he taunts her with how the Clown Prince has turned all of his attention to Ace. Harley, where's Joker? After all these years, you still think I'd give up, Mr. J? Why not? He gave you up. That was a long time ago. He's changed. We've been to couples counseling. I'm talking about right now. Or haven't you been watching the show? You've seen the way he touches her hair. The way he rubs her shoulders. You mean Ace? She's just a kid. Really? Then why is she with him while you're out here in the cold? Harley slugs the Dark Knight and a surprise Joker turns his camera back to Flash's battle with King and Ten, with little more than two minutes left on the time clock. Superman arrives and turns the tide, but the Joker taunts the Flash on the bomb's monitor, confusing the Scarlet Speedster long enough for the time to run out. Flash grabs the exploding bomb and outruns its full detonation, dropping it off in the desert outside the strip where it goes boom. Having finally proven to Ace who's stronger and smarter, Superman encases his brawny opponent in some slag metal, while the Joker congratulates the League on defeating his bomb plot. He then reveals that this was just a pre-show used to gather as many viewers as possible, and that as always, he has an Ace up his sleeve. Can't stop looking, can you? I wish I could say it's my animal magnetism, but it's really my little ace in the hole. Different, they called her. Some even said she was a monster. Is this a monster? I ask you. Uh, purely rhetorically, of course. Condemned for something she could barely comprehend, our little ace soon found herself a guest of the government. The Harlequin of Hate reveals that Ace's power is to drive others insane just by staring at them. He shows footage of how an infant Ace inadvertently turned her own parents into drooling vegetables and how the government scientists in the Sector 12 facility created a special headband to nullify her powers so they could train her. Everyone watching, including Superman and Flash, are immobilized at best and at worst experiencing nightmarish hallucinations. Joker makes the mistake of calling Ace the best sidekick a psychopath could have which, of course, angers Harley, who arrives to give the Joker some televised drama even he wasn't expecting. And it's all because of you, the best sidekick a homicidal maniac ever had. What about me? Harley! Yeah, Harley, you worthless two-timing piece! Wait! Wait! We 
can't let everything we have be ruined by a silly misunderstanding. And just what is it that I'm not understanding? That we're two of a kind. That you'll always come back to me. Yeah, I guess I do, don't I? But... Like the swallows in Capistrano. And there's one other thing you're not getting. What? That you led Batman right to my doorstep! <laughs> Tough love! Very effective, don't you think so, Batman? You who? Batman? I know you're up there. Oh! Oh, there you are! She also brought Batman right to his door, and so, like he has so many times before, the Joker strikes Harley unconscious to the floor. Girl, get a brain and some self-respect. Anyway, <laughs> thankfully, Batman repays the blow in kind. But the Joker turns ace on the caped crusader, and the very floor beneath him begins to wave. He begins to hallucinate further as Joker orders ace to turn up the juice on him. The Dark Knight tries to power through, but reality around him is constantly warping, allowing the Joker to repeatedly kick him around while he sings a merry song. Big old bats has fallen down. Uh, on the ground. Uh, Mind unsound. Uh, uh, Big old bats has fallen down. Uh, I'm so happy. Batman is on his knees, trying to pull himself up to the face of the Joker, but he can't. The Joker swings at him with a heavy boom mic, and Batman pulls something from his jacket's inner pocket, Ace's inhibitor headband. Ace's eyes go from swirling hypnotic to fiery white as she recognizes the tool used to enslave her, and recalls how the Joker said he was the only one who understood and didn't fear her. She turns her stare on the clown prince, and he lets out a blood-curdling scream before spiraling beyond his own level of insanity left a crumpled, simpering catatonic. Still down, Batman watches Ace walk out the studio doors. Later on the Watchtower, Hawkgirl stays in Monner's Green Lantern's progress. He awakens and insists they discuss their relationship. I'm tired of waiting. You know how I feel about you. John. And I know you feel the same way. It's not that simple. John, this can't go any further. Why not? It's crazy. We work together. So? Gives us something in common. We can't be worrying about each other when we're fighting the bad guys. Too late for that. What else you got? We're... so different. I mean, look at us. Just look at us. Hawkgirl resists, giving numerous reasons why they can't be together. But Green Lantern shoots each of them down. I see a man and a woman. He removes her helmet, seeing her face for the first time. At last, the two share their first kiss. Well, it's about time. Back in Vegas, the little old lady also hits the jackpot. <laughs> so, Magic Mace's defibrillator. Uh, what did you think of that? I thought, you know, <laughs> for once, electricity is not evil. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Now, you ruined that segment. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but no, you're right. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was cool. I'm like, I was like, and I'd forgot what happened. So I'm like, she's going to use the mace. And that, yeah, she did. So, yeah. 
Uh, I like how Batman tells Flash to stay with the bomb. It may seem a bit harsh, but if another bomb blows up, that's even worse, you know, at this point. Yeah. Uh, when Tim says he's just keeping Superman busy so the bomb has time to blow, Superman just punches him into low orbit and then takes care of the bomb. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, yeah. Uh, yeah, and Hot Girl, you know, tells Batman, hell no, I'm getting him help. So, you know, and later, of course, Batman apologizes for it. We'll get to that. But, you know, I wonder, like, I know why they didn't. Why not call in Wonder Woman and John? You know, what could they possibly be doing that's more important? Yeah. But at the same time, John would have definitely thrown everything off with his powers. Yeah. Because he could have found the bomb and read Joker's mind and stopped Ace. And so, you know, you don't want him in this episode, basically. So, so Batman throwing Jack's arm into the helicopter blades. Brutal or brilliant or both? Well, he knew it was rubber. So, it wasn't going to, like, you know, take it off or anything. It's brilliant. Yeah, I thought so. I thought it was cool, though. I mean, that's, you know... I like how they showed, I mean, this guy, they show how tough somebody with stretching powers really could be. Mm-hmm. You know, because a lot of times, you know. They're seen as goofy. Look at Plastic Man. They're seen as goofy or, you know, it's 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 a power they have, but it's like, you know, in the actual comics, Elongated Man's detective skills are more important than his stretching and like right. Reed Richards' mind's more important than his stretching. But, you know, they, you know, this actually shows how uh, incredibly powerful that could be. I like how Flash comments on his uh, corny line to King uh, when he wraps him up like a mummy. Mm-hmm. He grabs a mummy from the the exhibit at the and he said that about wraps you up. And he's like, I was like, and he's like, mm-hmm. it's like I know, I know, it's the only thing I could think of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even I thought it was corny. Yeah, uh, and at least Ten is honest that he just wants to take out his frustration on being beaten by Superman on the Flash. I mean, you know, he's like Superman just knocked me halfway across the city, and now I'm going to take it down on you. That that hardly seems fair, but you know, at least he's upfront about yeah. it. You know, he's 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 being honest. So, I like the idea that the Joker knows he should keep an eye on Batman above all the others. Of course, the Joker would think that way, right? I mean, you know, Batman and his, is his guy. Yeah, so I, I like that. Yeah, I, I noticed that Harley's colors are a bit more maroon than red here, and at first. I thought it was just the shots inside the copter, but on the roof, you know, she's still darker. Mm-hmm. So, so what did you think about Batman, like, using, like, Ace to, to get Harley to, to lead her, to lead him to the Joker? I mean, it's a typical thing. He's used it time and again, trying to use her jealousy for the Joker, you know? Yeah. I mean, the Joker, not only, I mean, the joke, by the Joker constantly, using Harley. I mean, how many times has that tripped him up? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he comes, he, you know, he's horrible to her, which we'll get into, but you know, she keeps coming back around, but it's almost like, you know, in a way, Batman, you know, he's tried to help. He's actually, they actually showed him trying to help Harley on the animated series yeah. and stuff, but it's like every time the Joker pulls her in, he, that's a door for him to Batman to get to him. Yeah. So when he can manipulate her one way or the other to, you know, to, so it, it's, yeah, and I mean, he was he pointed to the big jumbotron. There he was, like rubbing her shoulders, and so you know, it's enough to make her jealous. And obviously. it's creepy as crap. Yeah, it. it yeah, they didn't. They I di- didn't. I, mm, they didn't go. I mean, she even says Harley even says she's just a kid, but it's still the idea of the power dynamic. But still, it made me a little uncomfortable. Yeah, and I mean, it is the Joker too. I mean, yeah. he's you know he's a monster. You yeah. know, basically. I mean the. This Joker isn't like, I mean, they've made the Joker so awful and deplorable now that I, I, 
I don't you know how you can even laugh at his comedy aspects mm-hmm. anymore. I think they've gone beyond that. Um, so, but this Joker, you still could, you know, maybe Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. He kind of crosses that line, uh, in that one a little bit, but, um, yeah. Were you waiting for Ten to yell booyah at some yes. point? Yes! <laughs> in his battle with Superman. Especially when he's going, caca! <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. And I'm like, dude, he's like, I don't care. At least I'll win. And I'm like, dude, you'll be dead. You ain't going to know if you won. Yeah. And I think it, you know, I left that out of the notes, but it's funny because Superman like brings up, it's like, you idiots, you're going to like, this thing's going to blow up and kill you too. And King's like, I'm out of (laughs) here. That's what he says. Caca. Yeah. (laughs) I'm stronger than anybody. I knew I was stronger than you. (laughs) I've heard it before. It seems like Superman breaks his arm. When uh-huh. they're fighting, because, like, Superman grabs his, like, left arm. Because it's not in the right and same he, like, place. And he's like, ah! And Superman's just, like, holding his arm, like, under his elbow, like, just punching him fa- his face over and over again. But, I mean, he kept trying to get the kid to stand down, you know? Yeah. So, you know, at this point, he's got to take him out, so. So, Flash running the bomb out as it explodes, that's pretty awesome, and it points to the fact that Flash is probably a lot faster than he realizes. Yeah. And in a clinch, he can tap into more power, and we'll see that explored in Justice League Unlimited. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that bit, and I feel like, and and I couldn't think of it off the top of my head. I'll leave it to you guys. You can I could have went and looked it up, but I feel like Flash did that trick before in something else where he ran a bomb. Like I think, well, not before, but since this, like since this one, Flash has run out like a bomb. I don't think he did that in he didn't do that in New Frontier, did he? can't remember i, I, I see it in my head but i can't pinpoint where it is so if you guys know let me know i like i said i could have went and looked it up before we recorded i just didn't that gives you know you guys go do the homework let me know yeah <laughs> so good. the professor has spoken yeah 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 they're gonna give me a failing grade so the joker sets this all up to get the world watching and for all the networks to cover it and all the news media to cover it and now he's going to drive everyone watching insane. And I have to say, I've read a lot of Batman stories, a lot of Joker stories over the years, seen a lot of TV shows, movies. This is actually one of the best Joker plans ever. It is. And it, it is. And it goes back to the Joker used radio in his very first story. Yeah. You know, so it goes it goes back to like the heart of the Joker. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's literally like out to make, literally, I found a way to make everybody crazy. You know, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to. It, it's a perfect plot for the character. It's one of those cases that I think at the heart of him, Joker feels alone and he wants everybody to be like him. He's in a world to himself because of his insanity and this he keeps trying to make people like him. Well, and I, I think it kind of, you can go, and I, I mean, I know a lot of people, and I, I myself have problem with aspects of the killing joke now. I mean, it's, you know, but um, I mean, should have back then, but now it seems really just kind of, uh, but the whole thing was the Joker trying to pr- prove like, you can just have just one bad day and you can go crazy, yeah. you know? And, and so here he's like, I'm just bringing y'all with me, you know? Yeah. So, well, and just like, you know, in with Christian Bale, when he made Harvey Dent into Two-Face. Right. You know, yeah. same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Ace's origin, man, that's actually some pretty dark stuff with her, you know, her parents just sitting there with their eyes twitching and drooling. And yeah. I mean, she was just a, like an infant, infant. in a crib. It's just like, it's like, whoa, that's, whoa. Did, did you notice the guy in the mouse costume walk behind Joker and Ace at one point? 
there was a guy in like a really not convincing mouse costume with like a coffee in his hand and well i noticed it but i also chalked it up to them being in vegas i know but i'm like was it like was it them in vegas or was it meant to imply we were going nuts watching it here's the part that that i thought was really interesting about that when batman enters the studio and ace turns her attention to him you know, everybody else immediately, as soon as they, you know, as they're watching, immediately starts hallucinating and, you know, everything else. Batman doesn't. And, you know, Joker hypothesizes that because he's already nuts, that that's the reason Ace doesn't affect him. Yeah. However, Batman isn't affected at first. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he's just a little bit crazy. That's what I'm saying, you know? I mean, it, it does eventually affect him, but it does not and affect him at first. It doesn't until she directly, like, stares at him and pulls uh-huh. it on. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> I just, just, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, backtracking a little bit. Sorry. Uh, no, you're fine. So some of the freaky things that viewers experience through the Ace, uh, one of the cameramen has a snake come out of his mouth and then wrap around him. A broadcast tech has rats crawl over him while another one melts at his console. This, if little kids were watching this, they were probably pretty freaked out. What the the crap am I doing? What's in these these, um, Fruit Loops I'm eating right now? Um, So what do you think about when when Harley shows up? I mean, uh, you know, when she comes into the studio. Oh, you knew it was going to happen. Yeah, I mean. I mean, you know. Yeah, I... I don't think the creators like, you know, Bruce Timm and Paul Dini, who created Harley Quinn, ever meant for us to favorably look at the Joker-Harley relationship in a positive light. They never meant to. Like we said, he's a monster. She's a doormat who can't pull herself out of that vicious cycle of both mental and physical abuse. I know in recent years they have really severed the ties of the characters in the comics, movies, and animation, and they've given Harley, you know, to use a term that's overused, but they've given her her age, more agency. You know, she's like planted a flag in the ground. I'm not going to be your punching bag right. anymore, which is probably for the best because there's only so much of this kind of abuse you can show in light entertainment like this without it seeming exploitative. Right. Or celebratory. Right, right, right. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, I think like Mad Love, you know, does a good job of, of, you know, just making you feel like, oh, the book and the animated episode. Yeah. Of like, oh, because the Joker's like really like super awful to her in that one. But at the end, you know, he sends her a flower and she's all like, oh, you know. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's every time she makes a step out of it, she gets pulled back in. I mean, she does here. I mean, he literally pulls her in and, and you know, gets her to calm down and then he smacks her around, yeah. which is just, you know, it's just awful. I, like I said, I don't, I'm I'm not I'm I haven't really followed Harley much. I haven't seen the Birds of Prey movie. I haven't I haven't watched the Harley animated series. I know everybody says it's great. I haven't watched it, but um I've just I think I've like numb because there's so much Harley everywhere. Yeah. And they've over exposed her to the point of insanity. But I will say that I think they needed to get past even though this is the version of Harley, I still see her looking like this. I think they needed to get in today's day and age, you need to get past this part of Harley because, and I, like I said, I'm not I'm not blaming the guys who created it. It's just it's it's one of those things now that just it plays even worse now than it did back then. Right. So, uh, I love the low Batman theme when he comes on screen after punching the Joker. The composers on this series are really good. 
at sneaking those classic themes in and playing around with them. It's real subtle, but it's just like, you know, so, yeah. so, yeah. So, like you said, she pours it on Batman, and at first the floor waves, and the, he sees the crew walking on the ceiling, and then and then frogs. Why frogs? <laughs> Did Martha have a thing for frogs? Like, you know, she have one of the bathrooms in the West Wing with, like, frogs, you know, frog-themed or something? I don't know. <laughs> uh, so Batman actually pukes. Uh-huh. <laughs> we don't see the result, thankfully, but he definitely makes the pre-puke face with his cheeks all puffed out, and his head almost goes off camera, and then you hear, you know, and he pulls back. I bet they either meant to show something or, uh-huh. or have him go completely off camera. And maybe Cartoon Network said, nah, you can't do that. Yeah, but I wonder. he, yeah, it makes Batman puke. So, I'm, I'm, we didn't need to see that, but yeah. Uh, the shots of Batman coming toward a giant ace while the Joker swirls around them is, is genuinely trippy looking. Yes. And I mean, it's really well done as far as the animation and everything yeah. else. These episodes are really well animated throughout. Everybody's mm-hmm. on model. It looks really sharp. It's a big improvement over the last episodes we did, which were kind of off. And man, Joker kicking Batman, that is just brutal. I mean, you know, of course, Mark Hamill's song makes it more palatable, but it's almost as bad as when Luthor beats Superman and Superman Returns, but not quite. But it's not quite as bad as the beating he got in Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, which I keep bringing up, but it's it's still kind of rough to watch. But And then, of course, Batman pulls out the headband. Mm-hmm. And then I love how Ace turns the Joker's words against him when she sees it. Just, just a souvenir, that's all. Give me that. I'm not afraid of you. Wait, please. I know what it's like to frighten other people. That's why I'm not afraid of you. I'm the only one. Don't do this. Do what? That's my little AC. Everything's going to be... Ah! Then she pours it on him, so... Uh, But before we get to that, Ace is our last Teen Titan cast member. She's voiced by Hendon Walsh, who is the voice of Starfire. Mm -hmm. And her voice is perfect for, you know... That because she has such a cute, you know, Starfire has that cute, innocent, naive right. voice on there. And then, you know, Ace is like this, it's a similar voice, but it's like there's, she's got so much like trauma behind it. Like, you know, just emo, like, you know, I mean, just imagine being this kid, you know, yeah. there's this, whoa. So how can you make the Joker crazier? Did she just make him so nuts he can't function anymore? What do you think? I don't know. I don't know. Or did she, I mean, kind of like the Lazarus pit, did she make him sane And because of all the bad stuff that he's done? Did that make him crazy? Yeah. You know, kind of. Right, right. Yeah, there's been other versions where the Joker has had his sanity restored and what he's done's crippled him. Yeah. So So I just wonder. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I I could buy that. Yeah. So Ace walks off, but this is not the last time we'll see her. No. No, no. Very memorable reappearance down the line. We've got a long way to go before we get there, but uh, it's well worth the wait. But isn't it on Batman Beyond and not? No. 
No. Nope. It's well, spoiler warning, it's an episode that features Batman Beyond. Mm. But it's the episode of J- JLU. <laughs> okay, that's why it's I'm confused. It's the first series finale they did before they got picked up again. Oh. It's the episode epilogue. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're you're fine. You're fine. Yep. 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 That brings the whole DC animated universe full circle. And then they're like, hey, we're going to pick you up for another season. I'm like, great. What are we going to do? Ah, Legion of Doom. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just have fun. Legion of Doom. Let's just do it. So, the ending. I know you want to talk about the ending. What? <laughs> what? I mean, you know, what do you want me to say about Green Lantern and Hot Girl? Yeah, that's what and, I was going to talk about. Oh, well, you said the ending, and I was like, well, you know. Oh. Uh, no, but I mean, he's like, no, nope, this is the way it is. <laughs> you know, I just see a man and a woman, and I'm just kind of like, okay. <laughs> I felt like I was kind of a voyeur there. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and they're like. We're in this semi-private medical bay, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and I, you know when he took took that helmet off and he sees her face for the first time, he's like, yes! It's like, oh yeah, she's just as hot as I hoped she would be. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody was like that. It's like, damn, you guys did good. She's pretty. Yes. <laughs> I know she's a cartoon, but damn, you know. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh, shoot. Yeah, and it's, it, it, uh, I love how, you know, first off, before we get to that, you know, I, I you know, I'll put you on the spot, but. First, it's nice to see that Batman actually does care about his teammates because, you know, Hot Girl calls him. He's checking it. He, well, he's checking in on Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he admits he was wrong. He said, you know, we, we should never leave a man behind, you know, that type of thing. So that that's great. Um, and like you said, he shoots down all her objections. And I love he starts to take her helmet off and she stops him. Yeah. And then she just kind of like tilts her head forward and closes her eyes so he can lift it off. And... Um, I just, I think that's really cool too, that her face underneath automatically softens the character. Right. Because, you know, the, the mask, the helmet is made that it's, you know, it's all angular and the eyes are at a, you know, severe angle. And so she looks pissed all the time, yeah. you know? So it, you know, it, it brings out this softer side of her visually. And when we saw she, you know, her softer side with Grundy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, recently, but when he died, but you know, now we actually see a real face. So yeah, uh, this, this is a great sequence and, uh, Bruce Tim knew it. He actually pulled rank, uh, according to the uh, modern masters, uh, book by, uh, from two Mars by Eric Nolan Wethington. He pulled rank and said, I'm storyboarding this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you can, you can tell you as somebody as a big Bruce Tim fan that's followed him for 30 years at this point, you can tell when Bruce Tim like actually like, he doesn't actually animate it. The you know the guys yeah. in Korea or whatever animate it, but when he like is more directly involved, the style is like more fluid and mm-hmm. and it just it he he usually does he he pulled rank on the the Superman Dark Side fight in Twilight. You know you can tell when he does it. It just you know if you're looking. So, uh, but yeah, that kiss is uh, you know I, I don't know the kiss is great, but almost the the helmet reveals almost better than the kiss. Yeah, in some ways, but they do finally kiss, and uh, yeah, that that was great. And I hope that Stan Berkowitz or Dwayne McDuffie or director Butch Lukic or whoever came up with the coda of the little old lady, who's also Maria Canals, which is a nice touch. Yes, saying it's about time as we faded to black. 
And yeah. then we see her in the casino. So she's yeah. saying it. It's about time about Green Lantern and Hot Girl. Yeah. And then we say, oh, yeah, it's the jackpot lady. Yeah. It's the old lady. But that that's perfect. I mean, this is. Yeah. What a perfect ending. What a way to wrap up. Of course, things don't stay good for very long, unfortunately. No. <laughs> no. But more on that later. More on that later. So. Power action feature. Uh, so getting into our superlatives this time uh, for power action feature. I mean, personally, I think if we're going to go by actual action, it's the flash with the bomb, you know. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, let's face it. That final scene, the kiss itself or the unmasking, that's the power action feature. What do you think? I can go with that, yeah. Yeah, I can go with that. Because that's the moment you've been waiting for. That's the, woohoo, you know, that's the the woot moment, you know. That's what, if there's a live studio audience, they would be Mm -hmm. hooping and hollering, right? So, Rotating chairperson. Uh, rotating chairperson this is another tough one the actual action finale of this reads like a batman the animated series episode so you would could say it's batman flash has that good showing with the bomb uh but again i think you have to give it to the power couple of green lantern and hot girl well and i also i would have to go with hot girl herself because you know batman really is the leader of the justice league whenever he's in the field he's the leader but Hot Girl's like, screw you, I'm taking care of my man. Mm, yeah, you know? Yeah. And even though she is a soldier who is used to follow, you know, yeah. following command, she's like, nah, yeah. I'm doing what's right. Yeah. Yeah. Justice League Communicator. For Justice League Communicator, I know we usually give these to the heroes, but when Mark Hamill's on here as the Joker, he tends to steal it. Mm-hmm. And he does it here. And he has tons of great lines. I, I mean, his song is great. I love his commentary on the smoldering Green Lantern hot girl relationship. Yeah. Uh, I, I I don't know which one I'd pick. So take any Mark Hamill line from this and pick it. You know? Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. Just, yeah. Like they're all great. So Comic connections. For comic connections, uh, the Joker being involved with forming the Royal Flesh Gang actually goes back to that Superpowers episode, which was called The Wild Cards, as we said, which was co-written by DCAU alumni Alan Burnett and... So that's a connection. And of course, the Teen Titans stunt casting is a big old Easter egg. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the comics themselves, there's lots of Royal Flush Gang you know, appearances that they culled from a little bit here and there. But it's pretty much its own original story with you know, a little sprinkling. Electricity is evil. And as you pointed out, electricity is not evil this time. I think that's the only shock that we've got in this one. Yeah. Is when she shocks Green Lantern back to life. Yeah. So his heart back online. So so it's not evil. It, electricity is good. So <laughs> so what did you think of these two? This is one of those, you know, I one of those episodes. It's top five of at least of this season. You know. Oh it's yeah. Really good. You know. Yeah, yeah. I'd say this, especially of just the Justice League series, not counting JLU. This is up at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just it's a it's super tight. It's it's. There's like no fat on it at all, mm-hmm. and it's it's just great. Um, for some reason, I recalled that Paul Dini wrote this one, but he didn't. But I, I didn't miss him, honestly. I guess it's because the Joker and Harley were involved. I thought he did. My only minor complaint was Harley was kind of wasted beyond being yeah, a plot device. He was just kind of there. Yeah, yeah, to get Batman to the Joker. But, you know, uh, you know, everyone remembers this ending. It's a doozy. It's a big payoff of everything both seasons have built to. Of course, there's even an even bigger payoff next time, but that's not necessarily one anyone was expecting 
or really wanted, but it's an incredibly well done payoff that you can't really argue with. Uh, but again, more on that one later. And so we'll take a quick break and we come back, we'll have your list for feedback on the previous episode. Welcome, one and all, to the Fire and Water Racetrack and Arena. Please direct your attention to the center of the track where you will see 36 buses lined up between two ramps, a tank full of live man-eating sharks and a high wire stretching over it all. The rocket cycle is warmed up and all the nets have been removed. Who would attempt these stunts just to entertain and inspire his audience? What kind of man? What kind of hero? There, coming in on a rocket-powered skateboard, it's the death-defying human flycast! Join me, Max Romero, and a rotating roster of guests as we dive headfirst into the colorful comics of Marvel's The Human Fly. The Death-Defying Human Flycast is a limited episode podcast spotlighting the adventures of a man who comes back from a crippling auto accident to become a mysteriously masked stuntman with a mission to inspire others to never give up hope. We'll also talk about the real-life Human Fly, a daredevil with a murky past and a desire to be the best stuntman in history until the day he just disappeared. The actual human fly would vanish as suddenly as he had materialized, but not before sparking a comic series featuring what would be the wildest superhero ever. Because he was real. The death-defying human fly cast. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It's gonna be wild. Okay, we're back with feedback. Uh, you want to go first? Okay. So Rob Kelly writes in, I'm generally not a big fan of heroes fighting each other's storylines, but the writers of JLU found a way to plausibly have our heroes on the outs with each other, at least temporarily. Hawkwoman aside, the Justice League team is pretty powerful, with no one really bringing up the rear like in the JLL comics. But sure, I can imagine Superman somewhere in the back of his head is like, why do I need the lady with the mace and the motor mouth? <laughs> Gigantic social media profile is so disproportionate to her comics one, all because of the cartoon and the live-action specials, as you pointed out. She was such a zero in comics, she didn't even get a who's who's listing. Yeah, I, I meant to point that out and didn't. She is not in the, any of the, the original who's who's, hmm. like from the original comic to the loose leaf. So, yeah. Uh, Natavni wrote in, For years, the get him kid was the only thing I remembered about these episodes, but it stuck in my head so much that I'd be constantly attributing it to the Clash episode from JLU two seasons hence, which is the Superman-Captain Marvel battle one. Mm. I had a similar experience with a Super Friends memory of Aquaman being mutated into a giant walking shark monster and attacking a building. But like I pointed out in the comments, that's a real episode. That is a fantastic journey takeoff where Aquaman is mutated into a giant prehistoric shark creature and Superman and Wonder Woman shrink down in the Supermobile to go in and basically irradiate his cells and turn him back. Mm. And he gets loose and runs loose in the city, and Batman and Robin have to try to stop him. Oh. So that's a real Super Friends episode. So. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Somebody was passing the Dutchie on the left side. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at the Whoa. other people in the in the Zoom, everyone else seems interested or concerned except for the woman on the right of the kid. She has a very, I don't really care about what these superhero blockbusters are about, but Bobby likes them, and it gets us out of the house for a couple of hours. Look. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> She's probably a Karen, I mean. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or at least a Betty. A Betty. What's a Betty? Now, what's a Betty? Then? Younger. 
I bet he's a younger Karen. Mm-hmm. I, see, I can't keep up with these things anymore. Yeah. Ryan Daly writes in, I've always liked Gigana because she reminds me of an exchange in the Dudley Moore movie, Arthur. A real woman could stop you from drinking. It'd have to be a real big woman. <laughs> we got two comments from Rob McCarthy. First one is, this is hard to buy. A Green Lantern and Amazon and the tactical genius that is Batman suddenly doesn't do teamwork? Yeah, yeah a little bit. Yeah, it is a little hard, as we said. Uh, Luthor, Superman's greatest foe. Joker, the laughter that brings death. Giganta, the least asinine Wonder Woman foe. Copperhead, somebody needs to get caught so we can get code approval. Yeah, Batman. <laughs> The villain's got to get caught in the old days. <laughs> uh, we hear from Liz Ann Oswald who says, So Batman, too cool for school to train makes no sense. The man has trained since birth to be Batman. So him saying nah to training does not work. John Wayne to train works. Flash Wayne to skip would fit. Wonder Woman skipping, nope. Hot girl, <sighs> fits. She's a bit too hot-headed to rely on teams and not go charge. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, Steve Givens writes in, Personally, I'm a sucker for an all-out heroes versus villains war, especially when it's done with the DC characters. Forget Darkseid or Thanos or some other megalomaniacal mastermind pulling strings and secretly orchestrating a world takeover. Give me my favorite heroes grudge-matching against a group of villains any day. And the fight scenes in Secret Society are what make this episode really shine, despite some clunkiness with its central conflict. The JLA not getting along. And certain plot beats, John waiting to reveal himself. There's just something immensely satisfying about seeing the JLA members finally getting their act together and whooping some villain ass. Yeah, and that brought up, that made me comment about, it seems, it still seems weird they have none of the superhero villain, none of the superhero films have done the villain team up thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and Siskoid comments, uh, the Amazing Spider-Man franchise was about to do it with the Sinister Six, but that fell through as well. And I commented that, you know, they tease at the end of Justice League mm-hmm. with uh, Luthor and Deathstroke, but... Nobody's done it yet, so, you know. Still open. Yeah, I'm sure Marvel will get there first. So. <laughs> yep. Tim Price writes in, I've never bothered to look it up, so before this episode, I had no idea about Giganta's pre-Super Friends appearances. J-O-U-C-A-S bringing the knowledge to the lazy and uninformed. Thank you, Franklin. <laughs> You're not lazy and uninformed, Tim. It's just, uh, you know, I mean, gig- I mean, it doesn't, you know, when she's left out of Who's Who and a lot of stuff like that, right. it took me a long time to figure out, like, I saw like a page from a Golden Age Wonder Woman book. And Giganta was there. And I'm like, oh, Giganta's a Wonder Woman villain? And she's like, actually from the comic books? I had no idea. And I don't even know when that was, but it was sometime like in the late 80s or something. So uh, so that'll do it for this time. Uh, as always, special thanks to our Patreon supporters for information on how you can support the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Visit patreon.com slash fwpodcast. Extra special thanks to Jorge Luis Castillo, Matt Ryan, and Neil Whitney for specifically supporting JLUcast. You are a rotating chairperson, so thank you. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, next episode, it's the three-part series finale, Starcrossed. If all goes according to plan, we have a very special episode for you. Be sure to come back for that one. It's going to be a doozy. Yes, indeedy. See you then. Bye. JLU Cast is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises. 
worldwide and is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. The characters and properties mentioned in this show are copyright their respective holders. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their holders and no infringement is implied. So please don't sue mommy and daddy. Emails can be sent to supermatespodcast at gmail.com. Comments can be left at firewaterpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook by searching for JLUcast and FW Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter by using the hashtag FWPodcast. Please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to JLUcast. That about wraps you up. I know. It's all I could think of on the spur of the moment.